This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. There's a swing and a drive to center by Ramos. Back and it goes Ellsbury to the wall. It is gone. Wilson Ramos with a two-run home run. And with one swing of the bat, he's given the Rays the lead. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. On location at Crown Hyundai in St. Petersburg this week, we'll hear from Jake Bowers in his first month in the big leagues. Carlos Rodriguez will join us to discuss the international signing period. Plus, we'll review the signing deadline for this year's draft with the Rays' Rob Metzler and look at some AAA All-Stars with Durham manager Jared Sandberg. Well, we continue on this week in Rays baseball, and our featured guest this week is Jake Bowers. And obviously, you've had a wonderful first month in the big leagues. How much fun has this been for you? Uh, it's been a blast. I mean, it's been, uh, I think it's been everything I could ever dream of. And, uh, you know, you say fun, and that's that's the one thing is I wanted to come up and just have fun. You know, I think um, sometimes people can get caught up in, in putting pressure on themselves and, and losing themselves to the moment. But uh, just wanted to come up and have fun, and, and that's what I've been able to do. No doubt. Uh, rank the moments for me. First hit of Felix, first home run or walk-off. Which one was the best moment for you and why? The best moment was most definitely the walk-off. That was just something that, you know, whether you're in the big leagues or the minor leagues or playing high school or college, that's something that uh, that doesn't come around too often. And, um, you know, I think uh, it happened and, and I saw the ball go over the fence and I don't even think I believe that it actually happened. And um, so I just wanted to have fun with that, like I said, staying with the staying with the theme of fun. But, no, it was a blast. And, uh, you know, just to, to get to round the bases and know that the game was over and to win the game and, and see all my teammates at home play, that was just uh, that was indescribable feeling and um, something I'll definitely never forget. It's the moment you probably pretend when you're a kid. So when you were a kid, how old were you when you said, I want to be in the big leagues? Or at least as early as you can remember saying that kind of stuff or writing it down in a class paper or something like that. Um, I mean, yeah, it was it was ever since like first or second grade, you know, when you're filling out, like you said, you're filling out those papers. What do you want to be when you grow up? It was always baseball player, baseball player, baseball player. I don't think I truly knew what that was that what that meant. But um, I think I knew that baseball was all I really cared about. Baseball was uh, where I enjoyed myself the most and where I think I flourished. What's were you uh, an Angels fan, a Dodgers fan? I knew you grew up in Huntington Beach. Did you ever go to a Padres game? I know they were further away. Who'd you root for? Or were the players you watched? I was an Angels kid growing up, um, but more than anything else, I just loved to play. So I wasn't too concerned with them winning or following the team or anything like that. But I was always going to Angels games. Um, Troy Gloss was one of my favorites. You know that whole uh, they won in 2002, right? 2002, yeah. That whole 2002 team was where. Um, I kind of started following players. I remember I had a uh, 
a Troy Gloss baseball card that I carried around with me in my pocket everywhere. And I put my pants in the in the wash one day, and my mom washed it with it in my pants pocket, and it came out all wrinkly and stuff. And I remember I about cried myself, um, and, you know, she felt bad, but she uh, she worked her best to, you know, hit it with the hair dryer and, and try and get it all straightened out. And I still carried that thing around when it was wrinkled up. You still have it somewhere? I wish I did. I can't say I do. I'm, I'm sure that thing's long gone. Did you ever get to meet Trigloss? I didn't, no. No, I never got to meet him. Who knows? Maybe next time you go to Anaheim, they'll make sure yeah, to set maybe. that up. Yeah, we'll see. Growing up, I know, again, you were a Cali guy, so were you always a baseball player first and foremost? Were there ever any decisions to make, other sports, things like that? No, it was always baseball, you know. Um, I That's where I met my friends, and that's, uh, you know, I've been playing with my close group of friends today. I've been playing with them since I was nine years old. And so that's that's where I really met all my friends. That's where we spent all our time. You know, it was school during the week, and then on the weekends we would pack up and go play tournaments. And uh, so that's where I really developed those close friendships. And and uh, it was never there was never any decisions to make. It was always just baseball. It was always easy. Lefty. So were you always a first baseman, or did you ever stick yourself somewhere else, even as a kid? I floated around the outfield uh, when I was when I was in little league. I was pretty good at shortstop actually, so they they threw me out there. Um, but I actually did a lot of catching uh, ever since I was like eleven. I want to say till eleven till I was like in high school. So for a few years, I caught. Might have been the only lefty catcher out there. I'm guessing. I was pretty good too. You know, I was uh, I was tough. I was wearing balls off the arms, wearing balls off the face mask. Um, but I loved every second of it. You know, I liked being back there, calling pitches throwing runners out it was fun it was a good time certainly keeps you engaged in the game and, and I think probably allows you to see the game maybe a little bit differently in the field than because of that experience yeah I mean you got to see everything that's going on like you said kind of a field general out there um, you know you got to learn the strategy of everything you got to know the hitters you got to know the runners and then I think it just kind of catching you just kind of have to be more into the game than everyone else you know there's no you can't you can't lack that focus, you know, because the second you lack that focus and you take a pitch off, you're wearing one off the face or, or whatever it may be. First base, you're engaged too. Um, are you chatty or are you not chatty with guys at, at first base? I kind of feel it out a little bit. You know, there's some guys who will get on first base and, and they'll chat you up before you even get the chance. And then there's other guys who, you know, you say, what's up, man, how you doing? And then all you hear is some mumbles. So I think you just got to feel it out because obviously I don't want to be the guy that's uh, – talking to someone who doesn't want to talk or, or, you know, trying to focus up or whatever. But, um, no, so, I mean, like I said, just kind of feel it out. Obviously, guys that I know I'm a little more comfortable talking to, guys that I don't know if they're comfortable talking, I'm comfortable talking. So I think it's just on a player-to-player basis. I think one of the cool things about watching you this first month is how much praise you've given to mom and dad. Can you give an idea as to what they've meant to your growth and how the, how – engaged and involved they were from the time you went to those tournaments at nine all the way up oh I mean this it's there's no doubt in my mind without them I'm not where I'm at um whether it was getting me to all those games or just them keeping me interested by showing up every time you know it was it's it's stuff as simple as that when whenever I had a game they were there and uh they cared which made me care which made me care about them caring I know it sounds crazy but um I think them taking such an interest in what I cared about was huge and it only made me love baseball more. Uh, my dad, as far as that goes, you know, he was my first coach. Uh, he really 
helped me mentally more than anything. And he taught me basically that it's it's not about how you do every day. It's about having fun. It's about being out there with your teammates. It's about being a good teammate. It's about winning. It's about um, it's about putting your best best foot forward and, and giving your best effort that single day. You know, he said, you know, have fun first and foremost, and then after that, you got to give it all you got because you never know when the last time you're gonna step on the field is gonna be. Good perspective. And mom, what what did they do? Like, obviously, they took you to games. But what kind of jobs did they have? That obviously they had to sacrifice a lot. Yeah, they both worked uh, regular nine to fives, you know, so makes it that much harder to get to games. You know, Little League, we were playing a weekday game every week. And then, um, you know, beyond that, uh, my dad had a job at a time where he was traveling every couple weeks going to Japan. And I remember I had a game in high school one time and he said, no, I can't make it home. Sorry, man. You know, uh, obviously I'm in a different country and, you know, sure enough, I'm standing there at first base during this freshman baseball game on a backfield with about 20 people sitting in the bleachers. And I see him walking up and he's not supposed to get home until, you know, two days later. And so that that really would be the one moment that I that would sum up everything that they've done for me is that, you know, he got out of that couple of days of work, came home, and made it to a game from a different country, which is uh, which is crazy. Obviously, your family means a lot. I, I, it's clear your baseball family means a lot too. The relationship you with you have with Willie Adamas is he your closest person in the game that you're with right now, and and if not, who is? I would say that's fair to say. Um, I would say that's fair because we kind of went through the same journey together. We uh, we played at the same levels every year. Uh, we've been on the same team for the past four years, whatever it is, and we've kind of, you know, grown closer through through the stress of it all, through the stress of, you know, getting called up to the big leagues or having a good year in AAA or having a good year in AA, making all-star teams, you know, playing in the playoffs, winning championships in AAA. And, uh, you know, we talk about all of those things, kind of confide in each other a little bit, and so uh, that only creates a better bond on the field as well. I know his English has gotten tremendous. Has he helped you with your Spanish? And if so, can you say uh, Willie Adamas is a terrific shortstop? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, his English is far better than my Spanish, and I most definitely cannot say Willie Adamas is a terrific shortstop. But Willie Adamas is a terrific shortstop. I would agree there. A couple fun questions. Social media platform of choice, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, why? Um, Not Snapchat. But I, I would say Twitter for news, Instagram for entertainment. Um, you know, I like to get on Twitter, see what's going on in the baseball world, see what's going on in the real world. And then uh, Instagram is more friends, close friends, players that I like, uh, you know, whatever have you right there. Your walkout song right now, how'd you pick it and why? I let my buddies pick it um, in Durham. So I had one in Durham at the beginning of the year, and I was struggling a little bit. Just wanted to switch it up. My buddies came into town, and uh, I was like, hey, I'm going to switch my walk-up song today. And they were like, oh, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. I'm like, you guys pick. So so they picked it, and um, I got hot. I got really hot. I went from hitting like 200 to, to 290 in like three weeks. So i uh, just kind of been rolling with it ever since. So superstition plays a little bit of a factor. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. It's also a pretty good walk-up song, too. Yes, it is. Um bio your bio says you surf or picked up surfing i can't believe you didn't surf as a kid did you at all and and if not why not no i never surfed as a kid just um it would like i mean like we said it was all baseball 
you know on the weekends i wasn't going to the beach i was going to uh to the backfields to to play some tournaments and and do all that and then finally when i got home and and had an off season and realized that there was no baseball i kind of just had to fill my time with some other hobbies and interests and so i picked up surfing a little bit and uh you know i'm no i'm no kelly slater out there but um but i'll stand up and ride a wave and and you know fall and eat some sand here and there but you know it's it's fun it's it's fun to get out there it's kind of uh it's kind of like meditation you know it's really calming out there harder to do catch a wave or being in the box catch a wave for sure if i don't surf for a few weeks and i go out there i'm falling at least five or six times in a row before i stand up all right nicknames i'm sure you saw jake free gave you rake bowers you like that one is there another one that you like Arrested Estrada has called you uh, Jakey Baseball because he compares you to Donnie, Donnie Mattingly, Don, Donnie Baseball. Is there one that you've had over the years that you like more than any other and why? I've always just been JB, just real simple, you know. Um, all those other ones are good. I think uh, I think fans like those. Uh, but for me, if someone's going to ask me what my nickname is, I'll just always be JB. Um, that, or I mean, sticks because I was always number 11 growing up, but obviously – number nine now so that doesn't really play so i'll just stick with uh, i'll stick with jb and did nine have any significance or did they that was just what they had in the clubhouse for you um so i picked that in spring training um obviously 11's taken by hetchy so so that wasn't an option uh nine i don't know it was just a good number i thought it looked good on my back um it was my first number during spring training with the Padres. so my very first spring they gave me nine uh my uncle wore nine at cal and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's it's been in the family a little bit, and then also I think it's just a solid number. Certainly just a, a month into your big league career. Look ahead. Five years from now, what do you hope people are saying about Jake Bowers? Well, I hope that they're saying he's a winner, you know. Um, I think up here that's that's what the fans care about. I think they care about that, and I think they care about when they come to the park that there's an exciting game played. And so if uh, if I can be two things, it would be exciting and a winner. Two good things to be. Jake, appreciate some time on This Week in Race Baseball. Continued success on and off the field. Appreciate that. Thanks for having me. That's Jake Bowers, and we continue in just a moment. You're listening to the Race Baseball Network. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and this week was International Signing Day, or the start of the International Signing Period, and the head of international scouting for the race is Carlos Rodriguez. Carlos, congratulations on the 11 players you guys have signed so far. I'm sure some more to come, but five by Baseball America's Top 50. How do you assess the class that you did sign, at least right now? As always, we'll hopefully uh, reassess kind of towards the end of the year and then a year after that and a year after that. But so far, just really proud of all the work that our guys did. Not sure it gets appreciated how much time and energy goes into each and every decision that we that we do make. The countless uh, trips and... Um, you know, just effort and tryouts that we do in order to get to the point that we did, you know, that we we're able to get to. Overall, really happy. I think we infused our system with a lot of talent, a lot of different kinds of players, and just players that our scouts can, can really be proud of. I want to get to some of those players, but I also want to get to kind of take us behind the scenes a little bit. You know, it's very different from the Major League Draft, where you choose the players. Here, you're competing with 29 other clubs. How difficult is that process? Because you may evaluate a player the same as another organization, and but you also have to convince that kid that the Rays are the best choice for him at 16 or 17 or 18 years of age. Extremely difficult, and there's a lot of really, really good 
scouts out there um, with other teams that do a really fantastic job um, that we have to go head to head with uh, on a daily basis. And it's just a relentless process. The evaluations, uh, it's a really fast moving, fast paced you know, environment where relationships are very important, um, relationships with the agents that we're dealing with, relationships with the players, with the families, just really trying to be as shrewd as possible with our evaluations, have our the most finely tuned process as possible. But it definitely is, you are definitely duking it out with some big boys out there, and uh, it's a challenge, but it's a challenge that we're happy to take on. And not only that, you're also trying to decide, okay, how do you allot your pool money? Because it's not like you have a first round, it's a slot, and supplemental, second, and so forth. You're kind of deciding, okay, how do we use our resources? Last year, you signed probably the biggest fish out there in Wander Franco, and then uh, Jeffrey Marte um, was kind of a, a later uh, in the process because of the way things worked out. This year you had what Baseball America had is five of the top 50 players. How do you decide when to, let's say, go for it on the big fish or get several big fish? Was the class overall in Latin America deeper this year than others where you could afford to do that? Give us kind of an idea of how you went about that. Uh, I think each year it's always um, it's always different in terms of what's available. Just like in the draft, there's some years that it's more top-heavy, more balanced, uh, deeper with college guys or infielders or whatnot. And it's no different on the international uh, side. Um, and we felt this year it was a little bit deeper where we wanted to diversify a little bit with the types of uh, guys that we were able to get. We felt we were able to do that. And, again, our goal is never to win July 2nd, but to add as much talent as possible. Last year with Franco was just a talent that we thought was a, a really special, unique uh, player that we wanted to bring in and add. And this year uh, there was – I mean, I think some of the guys have a chance to, to get into that. And so each year's different based on, you know, who's available, what's available, price points, uh, and so on and so forth. But uh, this year was just one of those years where we felt it was pretty deep and we wanted to diversify a little bit, and that's what we were able to do. So let's touch on some of the depth of the class. Probably the highest ranked by – uh, at least whether it's MLB Pipeline, Jesse Sanchez, or uh, Baseball America, was Alejandro P.A.? Is that how you pronounce his name yeah. correctly? Give us an idea of what you liked about him and, and what made him a good fit. Yeah, P.A. is really what stands out. He's just like a big athlete um, with a lot of baseball tools and skills. I mean, he's like six foot four, 180 pounds, really long, athletic, plays shortstop now. But really, like you can envision this guy being able to, you know, being capable of of doing a lot of things, but he really took on to uh, the the position, uh, especially given the length of his frame. Uh, usually, it's you know you see a little bit shorter guys uh, playing the position, but yeah, he just he's a guy that with a lot of tools, a lot of ability, a lot of talent. Like I said, he has a uh, you know that long six foot four frame. He's he's going to have some power in the future. He's got bat speed. He's got arm strength, so he's got a chance to have five uh, average or better tools going forward. Certainly, that's a nice guy to add to your system. You also added a pair of twins from Curacao, the Polonius twins. And it's the first time I can remember the Rays signing some players, at least who, who were well thought of from Curacao, and you've seen the list of Albies and Gregorius and Simmons and Scope and a lot of talented kids who've come from there. How did you make the dent to get these kids from Curacao to sign with the race organization? Well, we are represented down there despite the fact that we haven't, uh, you know, we haven't been able to bring on a, a guy like Albies, and part of that is my responsibility. We have uh, a scout down there, Shiron Asenia, 
who is a longtime player for us, uh, his minor leagues, um, and he's really well connected down there. He actually loved Albies, and we made a, a run of him, but you know, as well as some other guys in the past that we just weren't able to, to snag uh, during those years. Um, but Shaggy really created a, you know, strong relationships w- with, uh, with the family, and he did a really fine job for, you know, for a long time uh, evaluating those players and putting us in position to, to uh, be in there and created that relationship um, where we were, we were able to evaluate him and felt we were just, you know, this is a guy that we really wanted to – Two guys that we really wanted to uh, add to the system. Uh, are they both middle infielders? I mean, I, they're listed as shortstop, but I didn't know how you guys project them going forward. Yeah, they're both middle infielders. Um, actually, they're very similar, uh, and and I mean, they they are twins, and they're very very similar and build. Just their movements, their actions. Usually, there's like you know maybe some slight differences with with them, but they're very very similar players. But they're guys that uh, they're a little bit further behind from a developmental standpoint, just because of. In more phys- physical development because in Curacao, they're not full-time training like they are in the Dominican or Venezuela, although they've played a lot of baseball and they have a uh, really strong um, you know, little league program and a strong uh, baseball program. But they're, these guys are going to school full-time. These guys are students, so they don't get you know, the same full-time development f- from a physical standpoint. So, but these, guys, these are guys that are very talented and hopefully in time will add the pack on the strength necessary to handle the workload of being a professional player. Two other kids Baseball America had in the top 50 were an outfielder, Stanley Castillo, and an, another youngster, Dory Del Rosario, both from the Dominican Republic. Give us an idea as to both those kids, what you liked about them. Yeah, Dowry was uh, a guy that we've also followed for a long time, a switch hitting, shortstop, really good bat-to-ball skills, a guy that had to gap bat who we think in time has a chance to develop um, some some power. And Stanley Castillo is a guy that just, he's a gigantic uh, young man, about 6'3", 6'4", about 210 pounds or 200 pounds. And he just, you know, really, really exciting power bat uh, that we hope that in time is able to tap into that power. You're certainly seeing the fruits of your rewards from the academies and from your international program. Uh, on this year's roster, you've got Diego Castillo and, and Jose Alvarado, and Yanni Chirinos made a dent this year, um, and hopefully we'll be back soon from from injury. But I think, are you proudest most to see a kid like Jesus Sanchez now announce that he's going to the Futures game next weekend? And what does that mean to your whole international program as a whole? It certainly is very exciting. Um, it tells us that we're on the right path to stay the course, continue to stay persistent in the, the types of players that we're adding on. Um, not every player that we add to the system is going to be able to make it necessarily to the big leagues or to you know make it in the futures game, but seeing players like Jesus Sanchez and seeing where he came from, uh, just our entire evaluation process with him and seeing him get to the point where he's at now, it's very very exciting for us. It, it just kind of you know really sparks uh, you know some energy and, and enthusiasm. Uh, into the entire uh, international scouting department, regardless of whether it's Dominican, Venezuela, Curacao, uh, so on and so forth. And so seeing him is, is, is really gratifying. And, you know, I just wish him all the, the best going forward. And hopefully he'll be able to do uh, greater things for us in the big leagues. What did you see from him when you guys signed him initially? Did you see a guy who could be an impact bat eventually? Because, you know, you talk to people now around the game, and they certainly think that this kid can be an impact bat at the big league level someday. Yeah, I, I think when we saw him, it had been a little while, before, 
between him and a guy that we really liked. And so, honestly, I, th I think we were hallucinating what we saw the first time. Like, is this real? Because he wasn't a guy that was necessarily famous or, like, really highly ranked at the time, but just a really talented guy. Uh, he showed, you know, he showed some, some bad potential from the get-go. And he was certainly a guy that we were really excited about adding um, to, to, you know, to the class uh, that year. And so, yeah, certainly it was a guy that we envisioned uh, growing into that type of uh, performer. But who's to say that we, we knew exactly what he was going to be able to do at this point in time. So it's, it's exciting to see him grow every day. No doubt about that. Congratulations on the class you signed. And hopefully we'll continue to see the evolution of some, some of the guys you've signed in previous classes. And thanks for a few minutes. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. And that is Ray's head of international scouting, Carlos Rodriguez. Before we continue, let's pause for station identification on the Ray's Baseball Network. This is 620 WDAE St. Petersburg. It is gone! WPTP HD3 Clearwater and 95.3 FM, home of the Rays. Now let's turn to the Rays domestically. The Rays signed 35 of 43 picks in this year's draft, including two just before Friday's deadline. Rob Metzler, head of amateur scouting, now with us. And Rob, I'm sure you're glad to have all of this behind you we're thrilled to uh thrilled with the outcome for the organization you know when when you make when you, when you make draft selections the reality is you're not going to be able to sign all all 40 rounds but when you make draft draft selections especially in the higher portions of the draft you, you do it with the with the goal and the hope to be able to get them all you know signed in an raised uniform and, and we we were able to accomplish that thanks to hard work of, of everyone on our scouting staff and, and tons of support from the front office. And it, it's, it's an exciting time time for us to close close the books on the 2018 draft and, and, and a result that we thought yielded a really deep, talented draft class with really diverse prospect profiles. So really, really positive outcome for the organization. And look, I'm not going to get into specifics, but the fact that you got Shane McClanahan signed, he was the last and get all of your top picks signed. How pleasing is that to you to get all of that done? Great news for the organization. I, I think we are. Uh, I think we're in a really good position to uh, to help Shane develop and, and and proceed. You know, he's a talented young man, really live left arm with really powerful stuff and, and really good competitor. So I, I think he has the ability to be an impactful major league pitcher and and the ability to put him. You know, the reality that he he chose to be a part of our draft class and sign with us was just was an awesome outcome for us. And I, I think a really great outcome for Shane to, uh, to get on his professional professional journey for a hometown team. It, it's pretty cool. So we're, we're pumped. And you guys have obviously been very good at developing pitchers. I know on Friday you had Matthew Libertor make his first appearance. You took a lot of time with him before he got out on the field because he has a high school kid who hadn't pitched in a while. And I would guess, similar with Shane, college kid who hasn't pitched in a while, it's going to take some time to build him up before we see him pitch in a game, right? For sure. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't speak to the specific development plan, but I do know that our, you know, with any of these prospects, the first summer, <laughs> it's not about the first summer. It's about what they're, you know, it's about the, the long-term. Quote our good friend Mitch Lukovic, it's a, it's, a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So I, I think, you know, in terms of building, you know, having him acclimated to our throwing program, you know, building relationships with our staff, eventually getting into, into game action and competing will be, will be part of the summer, but, but uh, you know, it's certainly not the, it's not going to be rushed into. We're, we're going to take our time. And now in terms of 2019, are you busy now watching throughout this process, kids in the, the Cape, the, the other summer league programs, or are you also watching your 2018 class that you just drafted? How do you split the time for the next couple of months? <laughs> 
the the next couple of months are, are are busy. It's a pretty town, you know. It's as it's, we're able to map it out a little bit better than the spring because you know you, you can there's less variables. You you can uh, you can plan better knowing which events you want to be at and and which which affiliates you are the good times of travel in there. But it, pretty much every day is accounted for. Either seeing uh, seeing one of the big summer events, seeing Cape Cod League, seeing the Collegiate Team USA, seeing the high school group at the. East Coast Pro Area Codes, you know, our staff has been at East Cobb. We hosted the PG National Tournament at the Trop right after the draft. Pretty much amateur players are playing, you know, our uh, our prospects are playing. So it, it, we want to split our time out at the ballparks, seeing one of those two pretty much each and every day. Does does it help you to take a look at the group you just drafted and, and maybe not evaluate, but also see some things that, hey, I thought I saw this, but now I'm seeing him play some professional games that can benefit you with future classes? I think our best feedback in terms of self-evaluation comes, you know, over a little bit longer view than, than just this summer. But I do make it a priority, you know, for me personally and for multiple members of our staff to make sure that we get to Gulf Coast League, get to Princeton, get to Hudson Valley to make sure that, you know, in the short term, what what the expectations were going in, you know, are are what you know the tools were and the and the skills were, and also to make you know if there's anything in the short term assimilation wise that we can do to, hey, <laughs> I thought you know we were kind of you know player development staff might say we were kind of expecting this and we might say oh no maybe their their strengths might be this or that and, and just to be able to, just to make sure that you know we give every one of these prospects the best chance to assimilate into our farm system and get their feet on the ground and and, and show what they can do this summer that that's that's more of the goal in the, in the short term views and and then if there's anything that <laughs> looks wildly out of line with with how we had the prospects evaluated in the spring but as you know, probably there are a handful of examples in our system. Usually, the the better time to to see what kind of progress they're making is you know once they get out to full seasons and once they have the spring training under their belt and and once they uh, you know they have a little bit higher comfort within the organization. Certainly makes sense. Of the picks you signed out of forty three, were you surprised that you got that many? Um, were there any kids that you were not expecting, maybe, or you thought might be difficult signs that you got? anything wildly out of line it, it was exciting we we also this past week we were able to sign Bo Brundage an athletic outfielder you know left-handed outfielder from the University of Portland he was that off to a good start up on the Cape we were able to get get him on board as well so I think that was a nice you know pleasant addition you know this past week but I think we also you know had staff working on that throughout the summer to uh you know, if there was any any potential that it might happen, you know, we trying to uh, trying to increase that potential as much as possible. So that was a great great outcome too, and and he will be a you know he's a welcome addition to the draft class, and we're excited to see him out there competing on his way to uh, the higher levels of the system. No doubt about that. I know his dad Dave pretty well, and a good baseball man, a good baseball family. It's a good guy to get uh, into the system. Overall, as you look at this class, what do you think? When when we look at it, maybe three, four, five years down the road, what do you think will be the best thing about it? Here, that, that's a tough question, Neil. That's a, that's a. Uh, I hope the best thing about it is that we have you know three years down the line, you know may, maybe a few of our of our college players have cracked the big league roster right on the precipice. But you know, I, I think in broad sense, I hope that each of these prospects, you know, we, we get their, you know, and I'm confident that we will get their best efforts. That we they compete their tails off, they make adjust, they work well with our coaching staff, and and they they make the best of their abilities but another broad sense i guess you know i think we were 
not necessarily by a specific plan, but just the nature of how our board came together. I think we added a pretty diverse group of college position players that are, you know, that have really advanced skills, you know, high school arms, you know, with that we think have quote unquote upside, you know, some college arms that are, you know, excellent pitchers who, you know, have the ability to keep getting better and competing, competing along the way and, uh, and some interesting high school position players as well. So, you know, I, I think we, we were able to just by chance add from each of those, each of those quadrants. Rob, good stuff. We appreciate a few minutes and uh, before you know, it, we'll be talking about the next class. The time flies. I can't believe we're, we're uh, closing the books on 2018 and then moving on to 2019. Thanks, Neil. And that is Rays head of amateur scouting, Rob Metzler, coming up pitching coach Kyle Snyder and more after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Time now for our latest feature on 20-year employees in this 20th anniversary season. Hi, this is Milt Hill. I'm currently an area scout, cover Georgia and part of the southeast, and I was hired in October of 1996. Well, I came down, I interviewed first for a pitching coach job. I wasn't always a scout. Tom Foley was the uh, actual minor league director at the time, and he was in charge of hiring all the player development people. And they just had me come in one day, and uh, they brought me into Huggins Stengel, which is the, the first place that we trained, which was the older park over in St. Petersburg. Gave me, you know, around the questions, and then took me to Harvey's Fourth Street Grill after that, and we signed a contract right there. What's been the best part about your time working for the race? It'd be hard not to say going to the World Series in 2008. I guess that was that was a highlight of just about anybody that had been in on the ground floor. I think more than anything, it, it said we were a legitimate organization. We knew we had good players. We knew we had drafted and signed and developed good players. But I think we legitimized it in that run. Sure wish we could have finished it off you know, with, a, with a championship. But I, I think it's still in the mix. Uh, somewhere down the road. From a personal standpoint, what's been the best part about working for the race? The whole work environment. Just the fact that they they let you do your job. I think that we've got a good mix of people who have different backgrounds. Some of them are more analytical. Some of us are more baseball-oriented. But I think we all have a voice, and we're all listened to, and it's all kind of meshed together. But they don't ask me to get too technical and too analytical, which I think is great because that's definitely not my strength. But I feel like they value my opinion from a baseball standpoint. And I've, I've literally never had another job outside of baseball as far as a real job. I signed as a player in 1987, and I have worked ever since June of 1987. It's all that I really know. What are you proudest of in terms of your accomplishments as a Rays employee? I don't know. I think um, it, it, it's hard to measure when you're a scout just because you're not, always, you're not always rewarded with the way that you had your draft list lined up and you had the players in your territory and the, and the talent and how it all stacked up. But I, I think I'm most proud of most of the reports that I've written and most of the, most of the time the way the draft has unfolded, I think I've had them fairly close to being in the right order. We've all had our big misses. Uh, I've had a couple of big finds down in the draft. But I think just the fact, the credibility that, that, that they believe in, you know, how I've scouted my territory. 
And that certainly is the truth. Congrats to Milt Hill and his time with the Rays and many more great years to come. Now, Kyle Snyder's in his first year as Rage Major League pitching coach and has certainly done a terrific job, especially considering all the injuries. I asked Kyle what he's learned so far. Certainly learned that you can never have enough pitching, I and mean, it's been a little bit frustrating for us. I think just as a department, as an organization, with some of the injuries that we've had that have kind of I don't know, necessitated some of the decisions that we've had to make to this point. But uh, the other thing that I've learned is that these pitchers, regardless of routines and roles that they've been in to this point in their careers, their ability to adjust, remain open-minded, and, and alter some of what they have to do to prepare themselves for the role that they're going to pitch in each day or just each day in general has been has been pretty eye-opening for me as well. Has that been maybe what you're proudest of in the first half of the season, so to speak? Yes, I would say that. I, I, just as, a, as the staff is concerned, I'm proudest of how they've handled this. Um, it, it's, it's unique. It's different. It's outside the box. I mean, there's different whatever word that you want to use to describe some of what we've done. Um, the buy-in and the adjustments that have been made to this point, and, and I've, I've shared this with the, the group, um, I've, I've been really, really proud of. What has been, for you, with all of that said, the greatest challenge and maybe adjustments that you make in the second half of the season, too? I think just the continued communication. I think the biggest challenge has been trying to prepare guys and, and keeping, I, I guess, where they are, things that we feel like they can improve on, how transparent they've been with us about how they've felt as they've adjusted and really even at times volleyed back and forth between specific roles. I think that communication going forward is, is is going to be extremely important, extremely critical, not just for the rest of the season, but for so long as we do something that really there isn't a ton to measure um, or to look at other examples of other teams and how they've they've necessarily rolled out what they've done from a pitching plan. You really just can't rely on that. So it, it makes it that much more important that you got to tailor it to each guy um, and make sure that you're just you know, you're staying with each each one of these particular pitchers in terms of where they are physically and what it is they're having to adjust to from a, a preparation standpoint. Individually, what have been maybe some of the, I don't know, if most pleasant surprises or greatest growth you've seen of individuals on the staff? I mean, Blake Snell's year certainly stands out, you know, but I would, I would say Chaz Rowe, I would say Ryan Yarborough, Chaz Rowe being somewhat of a, a you know a journeyman, um, but has really solidified himself as as a main piece in the back end of our bullpen. Um, the durability stands out, and, and, and some of his open mindedness too to some of the usage stuff that we've talked a little bit about. You know, Ryan Yarbrough's first year in the big leagues, um, pitching in a number of different roles, finding himself in the, the, the 12th inning of a game. You know, on day two after um, after he followed an opener, and, and some of the adjustments that he's he's had to have made to this point, um, and how well he's pitched. I've been. Uh, I've been really pleased with, and I think as a group we've been really pleased with. Nathan Eovaldi, you know, coming back, second Tommy John, you know, and, and, and is really taking the ball and pitched, in my opinion, a lot better than even what his numbers would suggest, just kind of given to where he is to this point. Um, but the group as a whole, I, I think, especially in the last, you know, month or so, maybe a little bit longer than that, um, you know, we've really emphasized count control with these guys, but they've really come up made some pitches when they needed to make pitches to, to keep us in some ball games. 
and I can't say enough about what we've done defensively um, just as a team. It's been exceptional. Is that the biggest area where you would like to see improvement count control? Yes, it is. It's something that we talk a lot about. It, it's, it, you know, it's, it's really at the core of what pitching is, you know, is making sure that you stay, you keep the advantage in our hands. And going forward, I would say in the second half of the season, not that it's not been an emphasis to this point, it's something that's going to be an increased emphasis going forward. And is that more mental or physical to control the count to throw strike one more consistently? I think it depends on each each guy. I would say that there's probably more of our pitchers that it's an approach adjustment as much as it is a mechanical adjustment um, or, or something that they feel like they need to organize mechanically or more consistently you know with their with their body control I, I just I think as, as a whole I think throughout baseball I, I think that you know we could benefit from recognizing that we probably don't need to be that fine and the 16 game stretch that you guys have will have played against the Yankees in Houston and Washington does that even show it more because you guys got good results as a team does it show the staff hey we are capable we need to be we can be even if we're in the zone more we're going to be that much better against everybody that's been the message yeah certainly over the last three weeks um, given the opponents that we faced and you know coming out on the other side of it I think as a better staff as guys that have recognized you know what this might be my first year or parts of a couple of years that I've spent in the big leagues, but, you know, we've gone up against some of the best competition in the game, and, and we've certainly held our own, but, you know, there's, there's a lot more to go, and there's a lot, a lot more to grow. I don't know how often you'll have the pitchers hit in the interleague games, but I think Joe Madden used to say this, and I thought it was pretty interesting, that having pitchers hit sometimes gave them an understanding of how difficult it was and maybe realized, yeah, I should be more aggressive in, in the strike zone, that sometimes the interleague games can benefit. You think it's the same, perhaps? I do, exactly. I, I felt the same as a player. I, I can remember going back to my first interleague game that I pitched in 2003. It was in Dodger Stadium, and I faced um, Hideo Nomo, actually. And I couldn't believe how close he appeared to me. And, and, and really, that just gave me a boost of confidence going back out that next half inning. I think I struck out on three or four pitches, but... You know, it just kind of gives you that perspective, recognizing that, you know, hitting is difficult. And I think some of these guys, the results definitely suggest that, you know, but I think still oftentimes we feel like we have to make perfect pitches a lot earlier in counts than we think that we do. You know, I, I would agree with, you know, Joe's theory that, you know, you start to play some interleague games and you have to get in the box and, you know, it does oftentimes, you know, for the, the, the pitchers that are able to benefit from that, give them a bit of a boost of confidence in terms of what they're capable of. And that is Rays pitching coach Kyle Snyder. We close with a look at the minors. The AAA All-Star game is Wednesday. Kean Wong, Ian Jabot initially put in the game. Justin Williams now has been added. And Durham's manager, Jared Sandberg, with us. And, Jared, let's start with Kean and Ian. I know you probably deserved more All-Stars perhaps with a first-place club, but what's made their season special? Yeah, I think you're right with us having the best record, or one of the best records in the International League. You know, there were many guys that were deserving to go in, but, you know, with Kean Wong and Ian Jabot, you know, getting the, the call. I mean, Kean's uh, been out there and leading the league in batting average and, you know, put together, you know, uh, an on-base streak, but uh, he's played all over the field as well, learning some versatility and uh, much deserve uh, of the all-star bid. And then Ian Jabot, one of the top relievers in the in the league, uh, was, was strikeout rate. He's only got six saves, but... Um, he's been put in a couple different roles, whether it's you know six, seven inning, multi, multi inning, or closing out some games. But an electric fastball and slider and changeup combo that helps create that swing and miss. And you know one of the, one of the top guys in our bullpen and uh, very deserving of that All Star.
start bit as well. Now, in Kean's case, you mentioned the versatility, the fact that he's learned the outfield. How has he adjusted to that? Yeah, he's been great. You know, he's uh, had had a uh, one start in center field. All the other starts are in left field. Um, he's learning the, you know, the ins and outs of the different angles and you know, playing on the left side of the diamond, the way the ball comes off the different left and right-handers' bats, but. He's made a couple of good plays, long-running catches, and made some good throws as well, so he's, he's adjusted quite nicely. And what's the biggest adjustment he's made at the plate? Because he was with you a good portion of last year, and I know he's hit throughout the minors, but this is probably, what, his best year offensively? Yeah, I think so. He's putting it together as far as you know, the walks, you know, the extra base hits. Um, last year, he didn't bunt a whole lot. You know, he's got you know, quite a few bunt base hits this year as well, but you know, the biggest thing for me is just how he's been able to not chase, and he's really... You know, honed in on the strike zone, and he's uh, he's driving the ball in the gap, so he's a lot stronger and faster, but he's put together a absolute fine season, one of the best hitters in the league. No doubt. And Ian Jabot, it's the first year you've had him, so what have you learned about him? Obviously, you've told me what's made him special. Drafted reliever, you know, came up uh, through our system as a reliever, and, you know, to get some of those guys, you know, up through our system, I think it's great because sometimes those top prospects that are drafted are starters, and then they're in the rotation, and then they have to try and learn the bullpen. But, you know, he's been a bullpen guy throughout. And, you know, we put him in some different roles to challenge him and, and get him ready for whatever, you know, the big leagues are going to, you know, uh, put him in. So, you know, he's pitched multi-innings. Uh, he's recovered nicely. He's pitched back-to-back, short stints. Uh, he's, he's pitched uh, sixth, seventh inning, like I said, and, and he's closed out games. But you know, his ability to create the swing and miss with a – you know, high 90s fastball and that slider and changeup is, is pretty special. And, you know, he, a couple times this year, he's, his alignment's been off. He's, he's, uh, his his um, delivery got a little bit big, and he kind of lost control of the strike zone. So the walk total is up a little bit. But once he made that adjustment with Rick Knapp, pitching coach, you know, he's been just fine. So it's been fun to watch. No doubt. And a kid who also I think is growing a bit is uh, Justin Williams. How has he started to adjust to AAA baseball? Yeah, he got a little taste of it last year. Uh, with that championship run, and you know, he started out this season, um, you know, trying to make some adjustments, and you know, his his growth has been really, really good, uh, both on and off the field. You know, he's still pretty young, but you know, the bat continues to play. I think you know he's up there in the league as far as uh, speed off bat, so he continues to hit the ball hard. You, know, you look at his average; you know, it's not quite where he, you know he wants it to be, but you know, he's he's smoked the ball all over the field and just had some tough luck. And I think once he starts to, um, you know, figure out, you know, that getting the ball in the air a little bit more instead of hitting the ball on the ground is going to benefit him uh, to start hitting the ball, not only in the gaps, but out of the ballpark. And then, you know, his growth in the outfield, he's worked tremendously hard with with uh, Ben Johnson here in Durham, and his outfield play is top-notch. Uh, he leads the league in assists. Um, he's hitting the ball the right bases. He's very accurate with his arm. It's plus, plus, uh, plus arm. But he's tracked down some balls. He goes to the line and into the wall very, very well. And uh, he's shown some really, really good growth over the course of the season. You know, as mentioned, there are certainly some guys who deserve to go to the All-Star game, didn't get to go. I think one guy who probably would be there if he had been with you for more than a month is Brandon Lau. Has he been as good as the numbers? And if so, what's been most impressive about him? Oh, man. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch. You know, I think uh, if there's anybody in the clubhouse, when, when his at-bat comes up, I think they're coming out and they're watching it live because it's pretty special. Um, but the run that he put together with the home runs um, during this month and uh, just driving the ball, you know, he's he's not chasing a whole lot, so he's working some at-bats. It was funny because the Norfolk manager, Ron Johnson, joked in a couple of series ago, like, hey, man, uh, 
you know, we're going to pitch to Lau, and you know, you got, you got to line up like the '27 Yankees. And so, <laughs> I, you know, I crossed off Lau's name and put in Ruth, and uh, we had a nice little chuckle about that. But you know, he, he continued to pitch to him, and Lau continued to make uh, the Norfolk Tides pay. But yeah, he's been crushing the ball, using using the whole field. You know, he's uh, hit opposite field homers, he's hit opposite field doubles off the left field wall. You know, he's got pull power. You know, he's shown some versatility defensively as well, playing some left field and. You know, an average left field and an average second base as well. So, if you know, his back continues to play, this league's not going to be able to hold him here very long and he'll be ready for the big leagues. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I mean, I've heard from people when he was in double-A that really believe this kid can be an impact bat at the big league level. I mean, you know better than anyone having played there and also, you know, managed and coached at the triple-A level. Do you think that's the case, that he could eventually be an impact bat in the big leagues? Well, I mean, if, if you look at this one month body of work, yeah, I mean, it's pretty special so uh he could definitely be an impact bat if he continued to, to do what he's doing here uh and do it at the big league level um, i was reading an article on him the other day you know talking about how he's you know hitting his fly ball percentage versus ground ball percentage has gone up so i mean anytime you're going to hit more home runs you're going to ultimately hit more fly balls but i just think that he made a good adjustment when he first got here with his timing you know i think he was a little caught in between you know seeing the different off-speed pitches not knowing the pitchers but since then, he's just gotten ready to hit, stayed on the fastball, and he's been crushing fastballs. And, and even when the off-speed's in the strike zone, he's doing damage. Pretty crazy stuff. And again, you've got some other guys who are performing. Colin Pochet, his his strikeout numbers are off the charts. Why is he so difficult to hit? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of deception there uh, with his delivery and how he kind of hides the ball. Sneaky fastball, you know, with that, you know, plus life. You know, he's added a little bit of a curveball, but the slider continues to be a really, really good pitch for him. You know, so the occasional changeup. Um, but, you know, the fastball, you know, the swing and miss on the fastball is outstanding, you know, whether it's in the zone or, or up and out of the zone. He's got no fear out there. You know, and then with his delivery, too, I mean, his extension to the plate is uh, remarkable as well, so the ball really gets on the hitters. And, you know, as, as you continue to move up the ladder and go to different leagues, I mean, the league's going to tell you whether or not you're ready for the next league and, you know, he's ready to graduate this league just with his fastball. So I think, you know, big league hitters can hit good fastballs and, you know, once he gets to the big leagues, time will tell. But, you know, he's able to um, keep the hitters off balance with his secondary stuff in the zone when he needs to, but the the fastball is is ridiculously good. Jared, great stuff. Uh, Continued success this season and uh, we'll be talking to you soon, I'm sure. Sounds good. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. And that is Jared Sandberg, manager of the Durham Bulls. We thank him and all of the guests on the show today, including one Jake Bowers, Carlos Rodriguez, Rob Metzler of the Rays front office, as well as Milt Hill and pitching coach Kyle Snyder. If you have something you want on the show, tweet me at Neil Solons. Next week, hear from the Rays All-Stars and more. For producer Jason Berenger, I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. The pregame show between the Rays and Mets is coming up on the Rays Baseball Network. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazon's 
into the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.